If you're going to have a good relationship with your wife, you need to take her out on dates. If you don't have a good relationship with your coworkers, you need to go out and have drinks. And or like vice just, versa, you know, with your yeah. husband. Yeah. yeah, you could do that That's too. Right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I love that. keep it simple. Every, every woman out there. Goes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be very sophisticated. It could be very simple. Yeah. Go bowling. I'll give like, you my wife's number. You can suggest <laughs> that she kicks me out. He needs to go out on more dates. <laughs> he goes out all the time. Jim, I have huge news. I think I know what you're going to say. I think you know. Okay. IMTS is happening. I know. My God, it's been a long four years, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be 1.3 million square feet of technology in downtown Chicago. It's going to be an exciting time. I am so looking forward to seeing everybody in the industry and just seeing all the new technology. Everybody is so excited to get going with IMTS again. I could not agree with you more, Jason. I think it's time for us to really get back and have that social intimacy with our peers, actually see the machine tools live, yeah. cutting metal, shake hands. making the noise, shake or fist hands, bump. or a hug if you want to hug somebody. I like hugs. And then go out for a drink afterwards or dinner or whatever. We're in go downtown the Chicago, bar. the epitome of the city, right? It's going to be fun. What does the Metalworking Nation need to do? They need to go to imts.com now. It's free. It's great. Jason and I are going to be there every day, along with Nick on the Grand Concourse stage. So come and see us, imts.com. All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, get kicked off here. Who's excited to finally be back at a TSMA event, quarterly event in person? I know I am. So, yeah. And we have this great open air venue here at Nick's company. So this is exciting. Thank you, Matthew, for hosting it. And uh, it should be a great time. So we actually have been trying to do this event. Uh, it's been two years now. Uh, something I think we've uh, been working with making chips to come down to uh, to have a live show and host a podcast. So it's evolved to all kinds of things, all kinds of topics. Uh, but we're excited that we're finally here and we're doing it. So when I first started in manufacturing, how I heard about making chips, I started Googling podcasts, manufacturing. And I don't know if anybody's ever done that before, Googled manufacturing. Pod There's not much on there. I'll tell you that. There is hardly anything. So making chips came up and I was working in a machine shop and I was so excited because one of the gentlemen on the podcast is from a family business machine shop. And I listened to Not Your Father's Machine Shop, one of the first ones in 2014. And at the time, my title was the MBD. Anybody know what that is? Married the boss's daughter, right? So I was the MBD of the machine shop, excited after heading out, calling on customers and come in with all this new knowledge, Not Your Father's Machine Shop. And just needless to say, I almost got packed up that day. But regardless of that, such great resources, such great tools. So if no one uh, is familiar, I encourage you. You know, I wouldn't have known about work holding stations and details that I know on uh, ERMs and CRMs, but a lot of great stuff. So quick bio on the gentleman for making chips. So we have Jason Zanger. Jason is looking at one of the leading industrial supply, metalworking, tooling specialists, and tool crib management providers. Throughout his 22 years, Jason poured his heart and passion into the company and transformed it into its values-driven organization that delivers meaningful business solutions to its customers. Managing his family business wasn't enough. Jason held leadership roles in a technology and manufacturing association, TMA, and affiliated distributors. Jim Carr, 
Taking after his late father, Richard Carr, Jim is a second-generation manufacturing leader forged on the floor, the machine shop founded in 1972. Developed his extensive knowledge of GD&T, conventional machining, CNC programming, and CAD systems. But running a successful CNC machine shop requires more than technical expertise. Jim took it upon himself to grow his expertise in procurement, operations, HR, business development, marketing, and public relations. As if 32 years of running a successful machine shop wasn't enough, Jim went to hold a variety of leadership and advisory roles with the Technology and Manufacturing Association, Harper College, and Village of Elk Grove. Nick is a third-generation German immigrant, now of the VP of Sales of Advanced Manufacturing Machine. Nick is a CMTSE certified machine tool sales engineer and writes about industrial content marketing as a member of the Forbes Communication Council. He serves on the advisory board for the Mechanical Engineering Department of Northern Illinois University. So I'm excited to announce the Making Chips crew here. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hey, thank hey, you, everybody. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for the kind introduction. And you know what? We appreciate that you've been listening since, what, 2014? I mean, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And thank and, you to the Tri-State Manufacturers Alliance for having us here. You know, it's just an honor to be up on stage and speaking to you, Metalworking Nation. Yeah. It, thank you, Jake, for that introduction. And thank you for that little bit of knowledge. I, I sometimes feel that after we started this podcast, that the listeners know more about us than we know about themselves. Literally, you meet strangers and we're like, wow, it's making an impact. Yeah, I get asked how my kids are doing like more often than not. I, exactly. Well, you so, learn a lot about Jim because he's got the world's longest bio. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Nick. <laughs> so it's great to be here. Again, like Jake had said, this is our third rescheduling of this event due to COVID. Thank God we've got a beautiful day. Hopefully COVID is behind us, and we hope that we can equip and inspire and maybe entertain you a little bit today. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about five Ps today. We are. Yeah. So first of all, everybody knows the PPP, right? Did anybody get PPP money? Raise your hand if you did. Yeah, anybody, everybody know about PPP? Okay. So we're actually going to be talking about people, process, and performance. Very important Very to running important. a manufacturing company, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? The fourth P is that... Jim had to stop five times to go pee on the drive down here. <laughs> and the fifth P is and that we have some panelists. <laughs> and the fifth, what was the, the fifth P, P is what? We have some panelists who are yeah, going to Yeah, we do have some panelists. We have some panelists that are yeah. going to come up. So, Nick, how about you introduce our panelists? Sure. So, our first panelist is hosting us today, Matthew Nix from the Nix Company. Thank you for having yeah. us. How about a round of applause yeah. for, for them hosting us? And then Leah Curry from Toyota Motors Manufacturing, Indiana. Oh, Matthew. Did I do All it? All right. And then Dave Connor from Anchor Industries.
So one of the biggest things that we've been talking about on Making Chips all the time is people. And that's going to be the first topic that we're going to go over. It's hard to find people. And I know, Leah, I've heard announcements. You all are expanding your capacity and you need more people. So what have you done different to ensure that you're successfully hiring and retaining top talent? Because that's the key. That's who we want to invest in. That's our biggest asset. We also have capital equipment, of course, but people are where it's at. People drive the innovation. People help us to create those, that bottom line profit that we're all searching for. So you want to go yeah, first, we're, Leah? We're hiring about a couple thousand people. Just right? a couple thousand. Just a couple yeah. thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't even hire a couple thousand over my career. I'm trying to get five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get two. Yeah. So, Leah, you're going to be our resident expert. We're in rural Indiana. We're reaching out past 75 miles right now. But okay. number one, we look at, from a workforce standpoint, you have to be flexible in order to be meeting the potential members of your team where they live. Okay. So, we've done some mobiles. We've changed the way we hire. Instead of, used to be two days, you'd have to give up two days. You have to travel to us. Now, so it was a longer hiring process. Longer hiring process. Now we've reduced that hiring process. So you're going to them. You're going, going to, to the them. applicant. We're going to the applicant. You're we making them the offers quicker. We're making them offer right there okay. after they do the testing, and we reduce our testing. Now we do PDCA, which is Plan, Do, Check, Act. What is that? P -P PDCA, okay. Plan, Do, Check, Act. I've we make that. a change. We follow the result. If the results is good, we keep going. If it's not so good, maybe those team members are treated. We go back and we make another change. So that's the act portion. So if you have systems and standards, you have people and you have your KPIs. So we do the plan to check act based on that. So we're trying to meet our people where they live. And then we've had to increase our pay. Oh. We've had to add. Yeah, there's another P. We had, there's yeah. another P. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had to add relocation. We're helping people find homes. Mm. So we've worked with. If they're over uh, 65 miles, that we can give you some money for relocation. And the biggest thing around here is just trying to help find housing for members. Oh. So, okay. So are your people skilled people? Is that what you're looking for? Is, okay, so both. both. You're looking for CNC machinists or you're looking for administrative people? or All the above. All the above. All the above. I mean, okay. is there anything in particular that you've found has worked better than other factors in attracting people? So you know, here's one of the things. You know, everything's mobile now, right? So yeah. everyone's using their phone. Yeah. Right. So you're talking like Facebook ads and stuff like that. We were able to do studies based on as someone's looking at the app and we can see when they stopped. So did they go into the process? They said they were interested that they put their name in. Then we had social security number. Stop now putting it in. Oh, we changed that. So they get an ID. So now we have people going further in the process and we can capture them. We do testimonials from our females. I want more females in our industry. You can really get granular. And so we have our females doing testimonials and doing on the mobile mm -hmm. so that they can see, you don't need to know what a chassis is yeah. to work in automotive. Right. You don't need to know what tool and die is all about. Right. You come with certain skills, we can teach you. So a lot of times, women will, t will tap out because they go, I, I don't know anything about automotive. Now, a guy, on the other hand, if he's driving a car, he knows all about automotive, I'm going to come. Because he's more confident. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Females are not. So, yeah. yeah. Like females let, out let me there go like back that to one. something you just said just a minute ago. So, before you were having candidates come to you in person, and that would, you said it would take maybe up to two days. And now you're going to them. But we also talked about mobile. So, do you do any of this process through Zoom or anything? Because... 
we just finished recording a podcast as we drove up here, and we talked about the importance of travel and how there's really no substitute for face-to-face, human-to-human interaction. So is it always a human-to-human interaction? Yeah, I would say especially at higher Currently, yeah. yes, we still do human-to-human because we have some testing hands-on that you have to pass. So now, a lot of, some of that testing is now virtual, but if you're on the skilled side of it, there's some hands-on that you have to do from electrical, mechanical type of... Uh, how well can you pass those tests? We have a criteria. So we take those tests though to them. They used to have to come to us. So Dave, we talked a little bit before we came up here on stage and your business expanded through the COVID pandemics over the last couple of years. I assume that you've been hiring. What have you done that has been successful in retaining and hiring that top talent? Like, how can you hire when you have that next? <laughs> you, you, well, you've got to get creative, right? You've got to think out of the box. So what I would suggest is, like, you do something different than what Toyota can do. And that's not bad or good. It's just different. Yeah, different. You know what it's I mean? Just, so have you found something that's been successful? It's very different, yes. I think the number one thing we focused on, and we focused on it pre-COVID, because this labor issue has been around for a yeah, long time, sure right? Of course. So we focused on it pre-COVID, and then we had to f- take a break for a couple of years, and now we've come back to it. But orientation, how we bring people in has how been you bring them on. A, okay. game, a game changer yeah. for us. We'll bring them in. There's a five-day program that they go through. We not only talk about our purpose and our history and our strategy. You know, We've been around 127 years. We've had highs and lows. We yeah. know what works and what doesn't. But we really engage our team members, our new team members, to think about their own journey. Yeah. I mean, what's their purpose? What's their goal? Oh, what's their that. dreams? Yeah. I love that too. And what have they learned from their history? And what's their strategy? You know, where do they want to go next? And if they want to process that through the week, which it's, it's almost a retreat kind of mm. feeling. It's really a phenomenal situation. And we have a lot of senior leaders. I mean, we put a lot of time into it. And so senior leaders are coming in and building relationships. And again, it's, it gets it from being something where I'm just coming in as a robot to something where they believe in our purpose and they believe that they can create their own purpose. And they care about life. me as an individual. Do you do that same thing from the entry-level position, mm-hmm. the shop floor position, the leadership everybody. position? Everybody does it. How do you find that, let's just take... I would assume that the executive level position, they would embrace that, but they, that might be a little bit more familiar. Do you find that like the uh, entry level position, maybe somebody new out of college that they're like, wow, this is different. How do they react to that? Yeah, it's really amazing because it is across the board. Okay. You know, everybody wants to feel purpose. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter if you're a beginner that's making, you know, entry level wages or you're an engineer. I mean, we have sales reps and engineers and, fabrication folks from the floor. I mean, it's really an amazing environment from day one to day five to just see them kind of come alive and to have that cross-functional engagement in the room where salespeople are talking to engineers that are talking to production people. I haven't found that there's any difference between any of them. And when you sincerely care about the individual, that really comes off as like, I really want to work for this company. I mean, I just recently had somebody who, we talked about this before, who resigned. And he's like, I've been wanting to take this other opportunity, which I couldn't even provide to him for years. And he's like, I just never wanted to leave you and leave the team because I just loved it here. And that's the kind of thing that you're, I think you're talking about, that stickiness, you know, that you want to keep them there. Matthew, is there anything you'd like to lend to this, how to attract and retain the best of the best here at Companies. Yeah, we'll start with a question today. How long are they with you before you 
put them through yeah, that process? Question. Yeah, that is a great question. It used to be week one and realize that that's too quick. Yep. I mean, it literally would be morning one where we would start this five-day process. So they come into this for half days, and then they go and do hard skills. You know, how do you fabricate material or aluminum or whatever? And we found when post-COVID, now we've moved it to week three. So there's a three-week hard skills process. Instead of doing it on the front end of that, we've moved it to the back end and yeah. do it on week three. And then the people that they get there and they realize, I don't want to make a tent or I don't want you yeah. know. Yeah, you're, invest, you're, right. you're investing time and money, right. yeah. especially if you're engaging senior yeah. leaders into that process. Yeah. You're tying up their time. But by That's, week three, they know they want to be there. They're in or out. Yeah. They're yeah. in or out. They're in or out. Yeah, I think yeah. I, one of the greatest things about being a host of making chips is that I get to learn from like the best of the best. And I feel like Dave, I want to bring you out to like, right teach on. me how you do this. You know, yeah, so I want to send a- Angela's out in the crowd. Our HR manager, can she come shadow that process? Is that going to take some of our team members? <laughs> <laughs> She'll sit go. through it quietly and take notes. Hey, not if Leah gets them first. Yeah, there you go. We know you cannot recruit your way out of uh, attrition. Yeah. So you right cannot, mm-hmm. you have to have that, feeling that you belong and we call that mendomi is that you care do you care and lou holtz always said do you care about me as an individual yeah right and so yeah that's very big matthew would you like to add anything or yeah no i want to speak to what dave said that we can't recruit the same way that leah and her team are recruiting Mm -hmm. and frankly we probably don't want the same people so i want to speak to like the actual recruiting process that we go through i think by and large, to the extent that we've created any kind of a brand recognition in the tri-state, I think what I hear that we're known for is our corporate culture. And so people are seeing us do a lot of social media work and, and a lot of video marketing. We've got a video, very talented videographer on staff, and he's actually oh, started his own business now. We've supported him that's in, awesome. in that yeah. journey. He's still doing our work. Yeah, that's a great story, though. I love it. He's killing it. A lot of people are recognizing the value of that. But what I want to say is that people want to skip to that part. They see us doing that or others doing that, and they say, wow, we need to do more on social media. We need to do more video stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's like the last part of the step. So it starts, it sounds really cliche, but it starts with our vision. Our vision is to create world-class employment opportunities. So we're really serious about that. And a lot of people have a vision, but then we spent an entire day off-site answering one question, and that was if we do achieve our vision someday, what would that look like? What would have had to have been true to achieve that vision. And we boiled it down to three things. It's, it's on the banner up there, but it's culture, growth, and sustainability. You could interchange sustainability with profitability. I mean, if you're not making money, you're not yeah. going to survive. So right. we said we have to do those three things. And so from there, our strategic planning process and all of our KPIs tie back to those three things. And once we got really clear about those things, now we understand what our culture is. We know how to articulate our culture. And when we do all the social media stuff and the video stuff, we're just repeating that culture over and over and over again because we want people that are attracted to that and we want to deflect the people that aren't attracted mm-hmm, to that. Exactly. And the people that want to work at Toyota for all the great reasons may or may not be people that want to work for us yeah, and, and vice at versa. At that point, so. you're telling a story that's already true. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And it'll happen organically. If it's not authentic, people will smell the BS yep. really yeah, quick. Totally agree. It's very true. Totally and a lot of times your team members that work for you are your biggest advocates in the in the community. Because yeah. they will tell you if it's a good place to work or not. Yeah, there you go. So quick question, and then we're going to move on to uh, process. Yes. One of the things that I always preach to my team is my role is to take care of you. I'm going to take care of the team. And then you take care of our clients. 
and the clients reward us with their sales, their dollars, their profit, whatever you want to call it. So how do you believe, like just very short, how does your organization, once the people have been there for a while, how do they prioritize your people to ensure your success as a company? It goes back again to it's our vision statement. It's, it's woven into our core values. And then having you know closed loop management system that ties all that back together, like Leah was saying, are we measuring success against that? If every way you measure success is on the P&L or the balance sheet, well, it's fine that you say that yeah. these things are important, but everything that you quantify is something different. So yeah. you better be quantifying and measuring things in that area. So is it more like the qualitative when you talk to your team? like how? And, they, and quant- yeah. I mean, quantitative yeah. too, to the yeah. extent that we can find ways to measure it, even if we're measuring it against ourselves year after year, right. whatever we can do to measure that. We're, we're, that's one of the reasons that drove us a few years ago. We participated in the Indiana Best Places to Work mm-hmm. process, and we were lucky enough a couple of years to be recognized for that. And of course, there's great uh, recruiting Sure. components of that, but it also created a KPI scorecard for yeah. us to follow. There you go. I love it. Uh, and then we're kind of doing that internally now, but Okay, yeah. great. Leah? You don't have to say one of my aha moments was back in the downturn, Lehman shock, 2009, 10. Yeah. You're old enough, right? Okay. Uh, uh, maybe. maybe. Uh, so. <laughs> do I look like I am? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah you do. I, I'm, so. I'm prematurely gray, so. <laughs> he's 20. We were, he's 20. We and so am I. <laughs> We built trucks at that time, and the gas prices went out the window. We didn't build one truck for three months, and, oh. and all our people worked. Yeah. And we went back really, and what, for me as an executive at that time, we did a lot of training. We wanted to skill up our members so that when we came back, we could move the needle from here to here, right? Have yeah. a mean shift on all KPIs. And when I seen some of my team members that I had one view of them as whatever part of the job they were doing before, but then they became a teacher to other people. And it was like, we sort of forgot about how development is so important and that people see a life cycle. So we created life cycles based on if, uh, what role you're at in the company. And they can see, depending on where you're at within that life cycle, what the uh, skill sets that you can achieve, what the expectations that we have. And then they can be broad, they can be deep, either way. And since then, we have been fundamentally focused on making sure that our team members feel that they have the value and that they can develop themselves. We're all in with them on development. You know, we have on-site classes for colleges. We pay for tuition. And then we have all of our components for our team members as well. So, for example, one example, skilled maintenance, right? Everybody, we have multi-skills. So, you got to know electrical, mechanical, hydraulic, pneumatic. You got to know it all. You got to know how to rope a robot, and you got to know how to do a PLC and a CNC machine. So, basically, we created an AMT program years ago as Toyota North America where we do the work study. So they go to school and then they come and they are able to do the job. And then they can see as they're learning, they get the theory because they're going to apply it. Mm -hmm. Those types of programs, we just started our high school program, 4T program is what we call it, helps that student understand what their pathway is. And do they want to go there? Because if you understand that as a student early on, you're going to be much more successful in life. And that's what we want. Whether you go on to get a four-year degree, two-year degree, or you come to us and we and you develop at your own pace within the organization, we bring all members in. And for me, we actually score ourselves on how value-added are they to society. 
Oh, you great. Know, as a whole. Great. That's awesome. I love it. So Dave, you've done the deep dive on their purpose mm -hmm. and they've been there for a while. How do you continue that prioritization and at your yeah. company? So once again, you see how tough it is. When yeah. You've got this right <laughs> down the road from you. But um, I'd say on that front, the only way you're going to have people that feel valued is if you can teach your leadership how to value your people. Okay. Uh, right and again. we spend a lot of time, we're probably in our third or fourth year of just training our leadership. Okay. We have something we call the anchor leader mindset. And that is just a description of what it means to be a leader at anchor. And on the top, I kind of think of it as a sandwich on the top layer. It's that you have a servant heart. Like you have to connect with the people that you're leading yeah. and you have to think more about what their situation is than what your situation yeah. is. And so once you connect with your heart, then on the bottom of that, we've got something we call our foundational values and it's, it's reach, R-E-A-C-H, respect, engage, achieve through learning, courage, humility. Wow. And we spend a lot of time talking about those foundational values and you're only going to be able to get people under you to do that if you demonstrate it. Yeah. So how do you demonstrate reach? Yeah. And then people under you will demonstrate reach to those that they report to. That's kind of the top and the bottom of the sandwich. And then in the middle of that is lead with purpose, which is probably where your other questions are going to go, yeah. which yeah. is we've got a job to do. Yeah, and right. so you got to connect with your people. And then we got a job to do to lead with purpose, to understand where we're trying to go as an organization or your department or whatever. But if you're doing all that and you're doing it effectively, people are going to find purpose yeah, in I, what they're doing. I love it. I love it. I just got done teaching my leadership team, assume positive intent with all of the people that are subordinate yeah. to you in order to make sure you're like just really leading them well. Yeah. So with that, I'm going to pass along yeah. to Jim. We're going to talk about process. Process. Yeah. I've got the next P on the list and it's process. So I'm just going to read it verbatim right off the question. When it comes to process... What processes do you follow to ensure you are meeting your customer's demand? That's part A. And then are you doing anything outside of the box or different when it comes to process? So process. And when I think of process, I think about our ERP system, all the processes in our ERP system. How do we make those happen through the shop? How do we teach everybody? So does that give you a little start? There's nothing like your business. We've had multiple business segments that have literally like doubled in the last I'm couple sure. of years. You go from March, April, May of 2020, where you think you're going to shut the business down yep. until all of a sudden we repurposed a lot of our product lines and, and now we're selling at amazing levels. And so when it comes to process in that environment, everything is different. Everything is different. It, so it, we if have, you wouldn't have had a process during those months, you would have had a big, big problem. Yes. Yes. But you had to take the processes that you knew, and everybody up here totally understands the enormous challenges of the supply chain. And so to take that level of demand with the supply chain, the freight challenges, all the other things, the bottom line of surviving the last couple of years is we've had to reinvent ourselves. We've had to reinvent process. Now you got to do it in a real, in our case, lean kind of way, which I think all three of us would agree to that. But purchasing has processes that are so different than they were two years ago. And production planning has processes so different. Production is processes. So it's really just a matter of, of reinventing and creating new process that's allowed us to survive this. Great. Go ahead, Leah. Oh. Leah? <laughs> okay. 
So we're, we're sort of built on process right. and standard, I imagine, right? Right, I would imagine. This would, is Toyota here, right? Yeah, yeah, this is what you're known for, yeah. You wrote the book on process, yeah, probably. Yeah, literally, like 10 yeah. of them. Yeah. We, they're all in my company. So. Yeah. But just give us some good ones, and or maybe ones that have been have evolved in yeah, recent years recently. because every, the world has changed, right? The world we live in has significantly changed, and so have our businesses as well. And all the processes that we follow every day had to change, like I'm sure Dave's did. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure Toyota, as a mainstream company, had to change. Right, and you know, you mentioned a little bit about purchasing supply chain. So chips is a whole different thing to me. Oh, making chips. You. It's microchips. Oh, microchips. Yes, yes, yeah. microchips. And, and no one can get any of them. Yeah. yeah. I have to give hats off to our supply chain purchasing members, not only in our TMI, but also in North America and global, because it's very, very competitive, as we know, and from a supply chain standpoint, yes. you know, if it's overseas, uh, it's you have a much more longer lead time than you do if you have it Domestic. locally. Yeah. Uh, so what we've had to stand, you know, on our ear is basically being able to look at uh, those supply chains and figure out either do we need to add redundancy to them and localize more, which I think most automotive companies are looking yeah. at that. <laughs> there you go. Most that automotive was... companies are looking at how do you localize more. So that's one thing that we're doing. And then by localizing more, though, you have to help suppliers get the skill sets that's needed if it's something they haven't made before. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you have to do is understand the process at which they build, let's just say, a wire for an electrical motor. So if this is the process of what they milled based on this spec, but this is the spec that we use, uh, and it's coming from Japan, and it's quite different process, you have to help them. You have to help them be able to achieve the spec that you're trying to achieve, not that it's better or different. It's just different, right? And so we come together more, and we help achieve what we want to achieve based on that process changing and skilling up them in a different area that they're not used to being in. Because we have to beat the price of bringing it from Japan or bringing it from Taiwan or bringing it from Germany or wherever. You still got to beat that logistics cost, yeah. right? So you have to be competitive no matter where you make it at against the world. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, we got to work together and scope people up. And then you start working on the lean process. So, yeah. you know, if you don't have as much volume to start with because it's a new process, they may have one line. They have five other lines that do it a different way. You, you've got to be able to know that, you, you know, you've got to help them see that vision, that supply chain side, that you'll get more volume once we get your KPIs up and we start achieving a process capability. So we've really changed our thinking way. We've been doing this for a long time. We've localized things for a long time, but I think everyone's looking at where does it make sense and where can we build the skill set that we don't have in North America, and we need to do that more. That's yeah, great. I would assume that That's that great. requires more of your personnel yeah. in order to help it does. those yeah. domestic it does. suppliers. We are like so this with our that? suppliers. Yeah. We, if they That's don't great. succeed, we don't succeed. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Is there something that you've done recently, like a change there in order to really amplify that? Uh, you know, put more people on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That well, that's part it. of it. You, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned redundancy. So, I mean, how much of what was coming overseas to now you have a hybrid from overseas to domestic? I'm sure that was a big initiative? You know, it depends on the commodities. You know, we okay. have 4,000 different parts that come in on a vehicle, every every vehicle, right? Sure. We have, they come together. So it depends on the commodity. I can't really, it's quantifiable, but sure, uh, sure. But it's, it's commodity by commodity that you look at with new models coming. So we have two new models coming. 
next year. One's a Lexus, one's a Toyota, all three rows. So we look at those commodities that will go into those new vehicles, and then that's when you do your sourcing. Okay. And then that's the part where you do your sourcing, and you say, okay, we've been working with this supplier for several years now. They can take this on, especially if it's a Lexus level. Got it. So that's how we continue to work with them to bring their skill set up, as well as ours. Sure. You know, it's funny. Can I throw yep. one thing? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Hearing her talk. So it's interesting. Our, on the purchasing side, it comes back to that purpose. Like we would have been shut down for months if you couldn't find somebody to believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And so, for example, we have aluminum extruders that are giving us the aluminum to build the frames, and they have one-year lead times. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you'd, you'd shut down for nine months kind of thing. You had to tell a story, I would assume. And yeah. our purchasing team did a phenomenal job of telling the story of what we were doing, whether it was on the border for immigrants or it was for the hospitals or whatever it was. Yeah. And we ended up with a relationship where they're supplying us every week with the extrusion with one week lead times kind of thing, whatever's the hottest. Yeah, that's great. Now, so you're, that. now you're selling to your suppliers and saying, yeah, yeah. please serve yeah. me. It's the only way that we survive was uh, that. And, and uh, nowadays yeah. you need to tell that same story to potential hires going back to the yeah. <laughs> that's component, right. you know? Yeah. Matthew, you're up. Well, I'll start by saying if, if I was going to imagine the worst case scenario of having to talk about process, it'd be on a stage following these two. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about what I could say that is unique and that maybe would add value. And I think maybe the thing that's different about our organization, there's a lot of things different, but as it relates to process, is that we're made up of seven different small business units that are all in separate locations. So we have seven businesses like this here, similar size facilities of this. They all have anywhere from 10 to 17 people at each operation. So we have these small businesses that operate independently, many of which were through acquisition. And so they operate independently, and then our central, our shared services, if you will, are centralized. So how do we operate a business in a way that we maintain the autonomy of those facilities? And our mission statement's be big, act small. So that goes into every part of our business. But how we interact with our customers, that's a big part of it, too. And some of those customers interact with one of our seven business units. And, you know, they feel like they're interacting with a very small organization. Mm -hmm as opposed to a medium-sized organization. So our processes lately have been focusing on how do we scale the business so that we have 20 of these locations, not just seven, but still interact with our people, our team members, and our customers in a way that they still feel like they're, they're dealing with the small business. So I know I didn't give you any details up because it would take a long time, but I would just say that anyone out there that I would love to, to talk about that if that is applicable to anyone here. If you're running one big operation like Leah is, the processes that they need to do are different than what we need to do. I'd like to know more about that, actually, Matthew. And I think, Nick, you probably, you're in that same boat. Like, I have a couple business units, and I need to figure out how to create that organization and the processes along with it in order to do this more efficiently. So which, I'd love to talk about Which pieces should be shared and which yeah, pieces should exactly. be Absolutely. individualized? Yeah, yeah. And, and, so, and how does the communication go up the chain and down the chain. Yeah, let's talk later over drinks. Yeah, because you can get... I can tell you a bunch of what... We'll go to the Boring Bar and we'll have a drink about it. And for those of you that don't know, the Boring Bar is the making chips bar. It's also a cutting tool that makes chips. So so just to give context. But yeah, to your point, we're segmented into like 12 business units and sometimes they have to work together to serve the customer with whatever the product is. And so we don't want it to feel like they're dealing with three different companies if three business units are working together. 
And so you want to make sure that your processes work with each other and don't feel too segmented. And I think the overall point that you were trying to make is as you establish these processes, don't lose the human element that at the end of the day, it's just humans working with humans. Yeah. Yeah. Besides making chips, I've got two business units. And I need to add two more at least because I've got four kids and I need to figure out how, you know, like each of them are going to run. You know, that's for sure. Units. Those are business units. I don't know too. if that's how you're structured or not. But. Yeah, I have three, so, and my brother has two. There you go. You know, we're one ahead. Now, a quick point to that, like I have team members when I travel to some of the locations or, or like when we newly acquire business, they'll ask like, are you going to change our hours that we work and stuff? It's like, no, that's up to the site manager, you know, mm-hmm. but like they have no idea how much of it's going to be centralized and right. how yeah. much of it's going to yeah. stay. And you can iterate. Yes. You know, I mean, yeah. You know. yeah. So with that, I'm going to pass the P, the next P pass on the, the list. P. Pass, pass the, talking the P's, stick. please. Yes. So, to Nick. And Nick's going to talk about performance. And my first Thank question you. was actually not this, but you said PDCA. And that's mm-hmm. something that we say all the time. My older brother's like a lean guy, you know, reads all the Toyota books. So when I think of performance, I think of your people and your processes. And if your people perform your process, then you're going to get performance and you'll have a business result. So get profit. Yeah, there, there's too many pieces. <laughs> but, but PDCA, you touched on it, plan, do, check, act. What does that really mean? Like, at Toyota, that whole process of PDCA, how does that produce performance? Yeah. Well, so if you're a frontline supervisor, for example, and it doesn't matter what department, and so your main KPIs, which is what you judge yourself against, is safety, quality, productivity, cost, and people development. So they have their visualization, which is TPS, right? Mm-hmm. You have to visualize. So if you're, what's your main KPI for safety, if it's injury, but quality, if it's defects, but the key is in the process KPI. So broken joking means necessary conditions. What are the necessary conditions that you need to have a quality product or a safe environment or skilled members? And when you understand the necessary conditions, those are the ones you track and those will give you the KPIs that you're striving for. If the KPI, main KPI, isn't going where you want it to go, You go back to your necessary conditions and your process KPIs, and you go, which one isn't making a difference, or which one are we doing something that we shouldn't be doing, get rid of it, or do we need to add another one? So from a frontline supervisor standpoint, you know, they're trying to lead their members with their process KPIs, and those should eventually impact their area KPIs, which impacts the plant's KPIs, which impacts North American's KPIs, which impacts the global KPI. So it's all in alignment, but they have the authority to decide if these are working or not for them. Sure. And based on what I do in my area, what are the necessary conditions to be successful in safety, quality, productivity, cost, and people development? So there's like a North Star guy. North Star, and that's T360. We have a new term, T360, but it is a North Star. That's your North Star. And for me, if you turn, we were talking about organizations earlier. If you turn your organizational upside down, so your leaders are on the bottom, mm-hmm. the members are on the top, we're serving them, right? They're Absolutely. adding value to the process. We're overhead. Sure. We're overhead. Sure. So we, are we have to make sure that they can be as successful as possible in doing what they do. Gotcha. And if we're not doing that correctly, then we have to change our KPIs. Sure. Thank you for the answer. And everything I say starts with a P now, so it's just driving me nuts, but... At the end of the day, we're in, most of us, all, probably all of us are in for-profit businesses. So 
our business needs to make money and make a profit. But then sustainability. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. like you said, sustainability or profitability. But all of our employees want to make a profit for themselves and, you know, make some money to bring home to their families. So when we're talking performance and people and process, how are you, any of your organizations, connecting the compensation and the benefits of your employees to the performance and the output of your company? Are you doing anything unique or creative that you want to share? I would say for a small company, specifically, principally family-owned, we are extremely transparent, probably like way on the transparent into the spectrum. Now, depending on what level of the org chart you are, and you're going to see more details or see more global transparency versus the part of the business that you impact. And, and we communicate globally to everyone, but it's going to be less granular, of course. But I think that has been the number one thing. And I've always, as I talk to other business owners, when they talk about how secretive they are about this stuff, I'm always sad for them because I think the less you tell them, the worse it is in their head. It's an old school mentality yeah, for me. Crazy. I grew up it's with crazy. that. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. So you got to do it when it's good and bad. Yes. Yeah. So we were being transparent and everything was like a rocket ship. Yes. And the last two years have been really tough for our business. Yeah. So revenues flatlined and profitability started shrinking because of margin erosion mm-hmm. due mm-hmm. to the inflationary environment. And so the toughest couple of years we've ever been through. Fortunately, things are back on the right track now. But so that's a gut check when there's a scary part of being transparent when it's going like that. And then mm-hmm. when it goes the other way, now that's a whole new thing. And you have to think about what goes back to our vision and our values. And we said, look, this is important. We had we to stick with it all the way to the extent of when we're getting ready to announce an overhead hire, as she mentioned, mm-hmm. and the shop floor folks haven't got a bonus in 18 months, mm-hmm. that's a gut check. And we as an executive team sit around and go, we got to be ready to justify yeah. this. Yeah. And yeah. If, if we truly think it's the right thing for the business, we're going to push forward with, yeah. with making this hire, which we've done some of that. But without the transparency and the core values, we would just be willy-nilly you know, with those things. And then to your point, now all of a sudden you're eroding that trust from a compensation standpoint. When they weren't getting their bonuses, sure. they at least knew what are we doing to try to correct this and so on and so forth. We pushed forward with this expansion right in the middle of all that. You talk right. about a PR problem yeah, internally. Right. Yeah. So we had to communicate over and over and over again to the extent that our CFO stood up in front of the whole organization and talked about how we did a monster refinancing package of all of our real estate mm. and how it was not going to add any monthly overhead costs for this facility right here due to smart financing methods that we use, which was true. Sure. And so when you're that transparent and you're, t- I mean, that takes time and energy yeah. to do all this. I mean, whether things. you share it or not, yeah. what you're doing at that level is impacting everybody yeah. anyway. So yeah. you might as well be transparent. Yeah. We also acquired a company in the middle of all that too. Wow. And fortunately, we were in a healthy position going into that. But so our, our HR manager and myself, the day we announced the acquisition to the entire company, we went on a road tour at every facility and I let her speak to them in private without me. And then I mm. came behind, you know, and got a pulse of how everybody's feeling about it. And you can take notes and communicate and communicate and communicate. You know, this was the right thing. And it was, by the way. I mean, that business added to the bottom line immediately, which helped us all, right? So that it's just being, I think, being transparent and communicating what's going on and the why. Sure. Yeah. What would you tell another business owner who is not as transparent as you, but is thinking about it? Like, advice that you give you give them to get started like or, limits or just no just like any advice like you know how would you get started and you what is it going to do it for you simple enough okay my wife has been really good at like every time we uh, present 
any information, she's like, yeah, I still don't think they got it. You know, yeah. and I don't mean that in like a, a disrespect. But you might have I don't mean that in a disrespectful yeah. way, but yeah. I mean, just anything you take for granted, just acronyms or this or that or whatever. Yeah. So one thing I would say, and when you're breaking it down, like um, our CFO does a presentation probably every six months to a year for the whole company where he puts a dollar bill up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And then he says, it's kind of interactive. And he says, all right, we got to pay for our labor. How much is that going to be? And then, you know, he'll take a quarter and a dime yeah. off the screen. You know, <laughs> yeah, like real visual. Yeah. He yeah. Walk, yes. visually walks yeah, through cost totally of goods sold. That. And then here's awesome. our expenses. Yeah. And then we get to the end and everybody forgets about Uncle Sam at the end. And yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, he, goes, right. he walks through that. But like what I would say is you cannot make it too simple. Okay. Yeah. Start okay. the simpler, the better. Sometimes we did it the wrong way and we're simplifying yeah. it as we go. But okay. yeah. You talk about acronyms and there's all these buzzwords that we throw out. And the word that I've been thinking about and our company has been focusing on is gamification. I'm 34. I'm, you know, a millennial, if I can use the M word. And we grew up with video games where you're always trying to level up and you know exactly how the game is played and exactly how to beat the boss and whatever, get the new item or get more coins or whatever it might be. And I think we talked about people too and attracting more talent. And I think young people want to know how is this game played? What are the rules of the game? And how do I win? How do I get more money? Yeah. yeah. How am I going to get the better benefit, whether it's actual more, more compensation or free vacation day because I won my contest. And that ties in with what you were talking about with all these, you know, you have your big, most important KPIs and then all these derivative KPIs. And so we're really working hard on trying to make sure that everybody's job is gamified so they come in ready to level up every day. Is there any of you three are doing along those lines of trying to like make you feel like you're playing a game and you're trying to level up and the harder you work or the better you perform, the more your compensation will show? Sounds like a bit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We is there, about is there anything yeah. like Bonus that? Bonus incentive program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, or maybe even you two could answer. But anything that any of your organizations are doing as it directly relates to compensation or more. Yeah, we're just, just connect, them in the connecting game. performance to just to compensation. Just yeah. them in the game. Where it's more than just like, hey, you know, you've been here this long, so you get a quarter raise or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's that connection between purpose and just people feeling the transparency. I love your word that you keep using there, Matthew. Is that people have to understand how to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you got to do it at the lowest level, like you're describing at Toyota. Like if you got a team of five that's making a certain tent product and then another team of 10 that's doing it, you know, we have our safety, quality, delivery, productivity. They know their metrics. They talk about them every morning. Yes, they can lead to a gain share on a quarterly basis that's worth so much money if the company hits the targets. But I, I think it's so much more than that. I think it's people want to win, mm-hmm. but you got to be transparent enough and you got to take the time and the energy of what it takes for that person to know, well, what is productivity for this line? What is quality for this line? How do I measure it? How do I know if I'm having success? And then they have tier one meetings every morning and that team of five or 15 or whatever it is, they're talking about whether yesterday was successful or not successful. Sure. But it all comes down again to that leader and the leaders have to be able to engage their people. You know, one of the things... This is somewhat gamified, but not. It's got, so in a press shop, you know, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of different presses, right? And we die change, so you're making the side member of the car or the hood or the door, right? So those are, if you quantify what your capacity is, you should be able to run a batch at a certain amount, right? So we call that win-lose. So the team leaders, the members, they have a win-lose board. So you know what your target is. Did you win? 
did you beat that target or did you lose? Did we have some downtime or there was some quality problem or, you know, the yield wasn't what it needs to be? And then based on that, what countermeasure needs to be made? And then how does the engineers and the maintenance members support that production member to achieve those? And then we do some celebration that whether the senior manager do a cookout or they do a handout gift card or bring in pizza, which we couldn't do for a long time because of COVID. So now I'm hoping uh, we can start eating together again. Uh, So again, they then have control and they have that sort of winning, win, lose. Win, lose. And if you win, you get this. Yeah. And uh, now on our KPIs and our compensation, it's not so much that way. Sure. sure. But we do do it. We do do it in uh, safety, quality, productivity. You know, we give those different types of fun yeah. things to do, but also challenging, right? Because if we hit a new target, guess what? We're resetting the target. Yep. So you just said target. And I want to be clear, like, we don't have it all figured out where everything everybody's doing is connected to their compensation because it's hard to do. You got to really have everything dialed in and then, you know, you break it down into, okay, can we reward this person with whatever this incentive is, whether it's monetary incentive or some sort of benefit or a gift card or pizza or whatever, can we do that or are we going to like screw up the profit at, at the top of the company either? So it's, it's easier said your, than done. You got to yeah. know your budget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. But that, there well, for our KPIs for our team members, though, we do have safety quality KPIs that as a company, if we achieve them and plant by plant, then there's a percent, they know the percentage and we report out every month, where are we at to that percentage? This is what your bonus looks like. Based oh, great. On that. Yeah, that's very gamified. Yeah. They know where they're at, but as as of 8,000 people that are working there, we are very transparent when it comes to that. Here's where we're at. Here's North American Profit. We have to put it out there. Here's where we're at from your safety quality KPIs that you're going to get your bonus on. So, sure. Awesome. Well, guys, we've covered people, process, performance. Yeah. Uh, QPs. The, we actually covered a lot in those three categories. We so did. now this is more Q&A. Yeah, yeah. two more letters. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to have the whole alphabet. Yeah. At this time, Andrea, we'd like you to come up. Or Jake. Jake's going to come up. Oh, sure. Jake. Yeah. Jake. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to take some Q&A. So if anybody out in the audience would like to pose a question to any of us at Making Chips or any of our panelists, now is the time. It's open floor. We're not going to bite. I mean, there's it a doesn't lot. have to be directly. We covered a lot here. Yeah. This is a pretty deep conversation. If any of you have any kind of questions, we'd be happy to answer it for you. So just raise your hand and Jake will run around. And your name is? Matt Foltz. And you're with what company, Matt? Uh, Harding Schmansky. We're actually a professional service firm, not a manufacturer. So this might not completely apply, but I'm curious to get your take. And who was your question for? Anybody. Okay. <laughs> Jason likes to talk, so we'll, let, we'll give it to him. <laughs> How about no. it, Jason? Um, so I was just kind of curious in your guys' organization. I know that I'm guessing in a manufacturing environment, your folks continued to have to come to work to do their job during the last COVID years, which is a little different than probably in the professional service world. But I am curious with not being able to get together and eat, Leah, like you mentioned, and some of those things that you probably did that pushed towards a good culture. If you felt like you lost a lot of that and maybe some things that you're doing now to recover some of that, now that I feel like we're sort of coming out of all those COVID protocols. So just did it have a big impact on you guys in the manufacturing world? And if so, what are you doing now to come out of that? So is that a culture question? Yeah. It's a culture question. Yeah. yeah. Let me first say you had an episode, I believe, that was kind of your episode all about coming out and doing more in person and how Zoom affects the culture. 
are we going to lose our culture in a virtual world? Yeah, that's that's, what, yeah, that's I was it. very concerned about that because my, my company really invested in culture about three to five years ago. Again, I grew up in an old school machine shop manufacturing company that just had, you know, my father is the leader of the company. And I could see through interviews that Jason and I had early in the years that we would be interviewing these people and be hearing these success stories about how they implement a culture. And it just like the world changed. So I did. But fast forward to 2020, when we kind of just froze in time for two years, I'm concerned that through Zoom, that we're going to have a reduction in the culture. And if there's anything that we can do to augment that or keep it alive and well. So, yeah, I would just say from like a practical standpoint, I mean, like I would just keep it real basic. So if you've got friends, Matt, so like, what do you do with your friends? You hang out with them, right? Yeah. You drink, okay. You drink beer. No, no, no. That's a great answer. And you know, you want to do that same thing with your coworkers. And during that time of COVID, it's like your culture might've taken a step back because you weren't having a beer. You weren't pulling up to the boring bar. You weren't going out and having a margarita. You weren't having the Christmas parties, all that kind of stuff. And I would just say, bring it back. You know, if it went away, bring it back and bring it back now. Like start going out for like tacos and margaritas after work. All those things where you have that face to face. It's like, if you're going to have a good relationship with your wife, you need to take her out on dates. If you don't have a good relationship with your coworkers, you need to go out and have drinks. And or like vice just, versa. You know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you could do that That's too. Right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I love that. keep it simple. Every, every woman out there. Goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be very sophisticated. It could be very simple. Yeah. Go bowling. I'll give like, you my wife's number. You can suggest <laughs> that she takes me out. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to go out on more dates. <laughs> he goes out all the time. Is there anybody else? Jake, I'll raise your hand. And there's a gentleman right there. My name's Jason. I similarly work in professional services or work for a bank, have a lot of manufacturing clients. One of the questions that I want to pose to everyone, although Dave, I'm specifically going to point you out here because you talked about reinventing your business and reconciling that with the processes. And so I think people who are very good at processes sometimes aren't as adaptable as they need to be when you're talking about reinventing your business. And so when you embark on that, you realize, hey, we've got to change things. How important in that process did you feel like you had to change the people you were looking for when you were coming in? And if so, to what extent? I suppose the takeaway is making sure the processes are adaptable, but how does that relate to the people that you're looking for and what changes have you seen since that time? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I think the number one answer I'd say is it's a journey. It's not like you see a leader that you don't feel like is demonstrating reach or they're either not good with the people or they're not good with the process and all of a sudden they're out. I think it's a journey. And if they're willing to go on the journey, we're teaching them the skills of what it means to improve process, to improve quality, to improve productivity, to do the things technically that leads with purpose. How do you have a vision for what you want your line to be? And at the same time, we're teaching them how do you deal with conflict? How do you do the people skills side? How do you have empathy? So we're literally going down multiple tracks of teaching people. Do I think that everybody will make it? Has everybody already made it? No. But I think that it's a journey and over time, if they would consistently be old school, it's just about the process. Or if they're consistently... Yes, they want to empathize with you, but they don't know how to lead with purpose. They're going to take themselves out. So 
I think that over time, they will take themselves out, but we're giving everybody the opportunity to go. But I think the biggest message is we don't allow it to be one or the other. You have to be able to connect with people and you have to be able to lead with purpose. Yeah. And if you're going to work at Anchor, you got to be able to do both. But you can go on a journey with us and evolve. Do we have time for maybe one more? One more question. If there's one more question. Just to follow up, I think, Jason, you commented about that individual, let's say your top talent. He wanted to stay with you, but you ran out of runway in terms of opportunities that you had for him at the present moment. So how do you, as you look across the spectrum of your employees, all are valuable, right there and contributing, but some just in the natural evolution are going to be contributing more, want to do more. When you hit that roadblock of, I don't have an opportunity for you today, what do you do to try to keep them on in terms of just throwing, beside just throwing more money at them, which is maybe not always the ideal solution? Yeah. So in in this particular situation, I'm kind of friends with this gentleman also. And I knew that he's just the kind of guy that I was joking around with him that he's a renaissance man. And so like he was like a translator before he was our welder. And he's going on from being our welder to being in IT. So I just, <laughs> you know, so you can kind of see the, the type of person. He just, he's like, I want to learn a new skill every six to seven years. And that's just the kind of guy he was. And, and there wasn't like a situation where I could keep him at the company because this is just, right. you know, I just wanted to bless him and have him move on in the best scenario that, that he could. And, and it wasn't going to be about money or anything else, you know, because he didn't want to leave. I mean, he didn't leave for a couple of years because he just loved the team so much and he wanted to stay. So, but there's been other situations where, yeah, sometimes it's money and sometimes, you know, you got a headhunter out there. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before and people are just throwing money at him and you have to make a decision how much is it worth to me to keep this person on my team versus trying to find somebody new? And those are just budgetary evaluations that you need to make. And those are serious decisions to make because, you know, there's consequences there, not only for that person, but also for your overall budget and the rest of the team. Well, thank you for the questions. Yeah. yeah. So to conclude, we are blessed to give a Manufacturing Excellence Award. But before that, how about a big round of applause yeah. for our panelists? Yeah, there we go. I think you can sit down now. Yeah. Yeah. Careful. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's all I want to say. Who needs stairs? So those of you that don't know, uh, this year we're doing our first ever Manufacturing Excellence Award. And this is uh, a manufacturer that exemplifies these three Ps, people, process, performance. And our first ever Manufacturing Excellence Award goes to AstraZeneca. Yeah. Come around the back. Oh, there you go. Or jump up. Go the yeah, you can, there's stairs yeah. back here if you want. Yeah. If you're not as bold as Matthew here, who's <laughs> jumping off the stage like a rock star. <laughs> You're first up, so I'll present the award to you. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Do you want to say yeah, a so things about this? So we'll give a little context to why and what stood out the most about this nomination in particular. We talked a lot about people, process, performance, and lean culture. So Lean is a lot about eliminating waste and having value flow to the customer. And this nomination had something in your company where you implemented lean idea cards, where anyone in the organization could submit an idea for consideration. Hey, I think we should do this because it, it would lead to this. And then if it wasn't accepted, if it was turned down, there would always be a reason why it was turned down. But many of them were accepted and then implemented. And it really did drive business results. And so to me, that's like 
the epitome or the epitome, epitome. as Jim would say. Yes. The epitome of what lean culture is all about. And so congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's why we chose you. Yeah. And also we're very honored to be able to choose the award winner because yeah. we're it's a big deal. Excellence is a big word. Yep. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know if you want to yeah. say anything, Holly, or you want to yeah. say anything? Sure. You can say something. Yeah. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Holly Hawkins. I'm the packaging director for AstraZeneca. I've got with me Nolan Reagan, who's our OpEx lead, and Stella Aquino from Supply Chain. So one of the things I just want to add, and, and we've heard it all about people. People, they're everything. And we have a saying at AstraZeneca, every person, every day, moving the business forward. And we would not have been able to do what we have done in the last two years in the pandemic without our people. And so something that's that's really interesting is it really is when we say every person, we had three submittals. So we had Stella <laughs> for supply chain excellence, Nolan for the work in our lean organization, and then myself for uh, packaging our safety performance. And so it's really great that we can all reflect on everything that we've done individually, but collectively, as Leah said, it rolls up to our overall performance. And for those of you who don't know AstraZeneca, we are a site that makes life-saving medicines for chronically ill patients in over 60 countries in the world. So we always tell people our purpose is our patients. Probably maybe just one final thought before I give it to Nolan or Stella is that, you know, even though TSMA doesn't have that every person, every day slogan, my personal participation and journey with this organization, I would apply it. Every event that I've been in, every person that I've met on the board, I've learned something. I've taken it back. I've also tried to pay it forward to share some of the things that we're doing at AstraZeneca. And one of the things I always tell our new employees is if they're going to join one organization in the area, they're going to get their biggest bang for their buck for TSMA. Wow. So just, just a personal PSA message there. Awesome. So, right on. Thank you, Alex. Right. Thank you all. Just to give a little bit of background on the Lean Idea program, and really, this just gave voice to people that sometimes didn't feel like they were being heard. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of times, you may have operators or people who feel like sometimes they'll come up with ideas and maybe they just don't get implemented. But now this is a system where even if it doesn't get implemented, you have a reason for it, right? Sure. So there's getting a response one way or another. So really, this felt like not just getting people's voices heard, but also it's lean, right? You're improving your process. You're making your process easier every single day. Sure. So this was just, uh, it was a great program. And with Holly helping with uh, the OPEX team, we were able to get that put in place. Right. So yeah. Yeah. A, a huge form of voices, unused employee creativity. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Very quick because you said everything, right? <laughs> uh, but it's really about people. Uh, it's yes. how we can remove the, some of the frustration that they have in terms of process and how we can make that better, not just for AstraZeneca, but for the way that they work, right? I mean, it's really like looking at KPIs, yes, but people is one of the most important things. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Have a round of applause yeah. for AstraZeneca. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. All right, last but not least, we want to thank our sponsors, Toyota, Anchor Industries, Jasper Engines, Cook, George Cook Sons, and also our this event's uh, sponsor, which is Charles Schwab and Harding and Shemansky. So thank you for your contribution. I hope that all of you can uh, join us now at a reception at the Red, uh, the Red Wagon. I can't talk tonight, but <laughs> next door. I haven't had a drink yet. Red Wagon next door. All right, so. soon, Jake.
So really quick, for you all that have never heard of making chips, this is what we do. We bring on experts. We have discussions about, about topics that will bring your business forward, that will help elevate your business. We create leaders. And that's one thing I think, Jake, you would attest to the fact that, I mean, this is hands-on. I mean, we're on the factory floor all the time. It's authentic. And we're trying to make better manufacturing leaders. So if you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and we'd love to hear back from you at a later time. Yeah, there's one more thing that we do. What's that? We also drink beer with our friends. (laughs) At at the Boring Bar. Yeah, yeah. at the Boring Bar and at the Red Wagon. So we'll see there. And And what do we always say at the end of the episode, Jim? Well, it was the mantra that I grew up with my yeah. dad, and he always used to say, Jim, if you're not, not making, making chips, chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com.